Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and the Apple ecosystem. This is episode number three. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is sponsored by Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. We'll have a discount code for you later in the show. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm doing very well. Have you taken any interesting photos recently? I went camping and took some pictures, and I, I find myself more and more thinking that um, I need a couple days before I can really look over some, some stuff. Especially if you've gone away for a few days, then you need to sort of come down from the, the endorphins of the vacation location. Exactly, exactly. So today we're going to talk about a subject that is very dear to my heart, and that is black and white photography. Do you create a lot of black and white photos, Jeff? Not really. I I end up with a few black and white photos after I've shot them and I look at them and I say, oh, that might work better in black and white. But uh, it's rare that I'll go out with the intention of shooting in black and white. Well, we'll talk later about shooting in black and white and we'll talk about converting photos to black and white. But what I want to do first is just do a quick overview of the history of black and white photography. Because as we know, early photography was in black and white. Color wasn't developed until sometime in the early 20th century. The first commercial film was Kodachrome in 1935, and that was just movie film initially. I, I think it wasn't released for cameras, for still cameras, until the 1940s. So even when color film came around, it was expensive. The processing cost a lot. The colors weren't that great, and, and it got a lot better in the 1970s. And at that point, people started shooting more holiday pictures in color. And the, the color films, especially by Kodak, were refined to match the skin tones of Americans. Of course, they were refined to match the skin tones of white Americans only, but there was a goal of representing the person in films. Now, for a long time, art photography or, or photography with a capital P had to be in black and white, even when color was developed. There were some photographers who were starting to use color in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, but they were sort of shunned. They weren't considered to be the art photographers, the academic photographers. You went to see a William Eggleston exhibit in New York a couple weeks ago on vacation, and the real breakthrough for color was William Eggleston's exhibit in 1976 at the Museum of Modern Art. Prior to that, the Museum of Modern Art had had a couple of exhibits of color photographs, but his was the first single photographer exhibit. After that, it kind of opened up the floodgates and it let a number of photographers who'd been shooting in color before that bring their work into a larger public. For instance, I'll link in the show notes to an exhibit that was in London, I think last year, of photos by Joel Meyerowitz from 1962 to 1978. Meyerowitz is quite interesting because he was, early on, he was known as a street photographer, but he shot some color at the same time. And there were times when he would go out with two cameras, one color, one black and white, he would shoot a scene in black and white, then he would shoot the scene as close as possible in color. And if you look at some of his books, you'll see these pairings of color in black and white. And you'll see it's not exactly the same scene. People have moved, the plane has flown a little bit further in the sky, but for him it was a way of trying to determine whether color or black and white was more interesting. He left New York and moved to Cape Cod in the mid-1970s, and he published his first book called Cape Light, these were pictures he shot in 1976 and 77 with one of those big 8x10 view cameras. And in a video interview with him I saw a while back, he said he wanted more information in his photos. So he wanted to stop using the small 35 millimeter black and white 
and he wanted to explore the vastness of the color with these huge pictures. Now, this is like a 40-pound camera that you have to lug around on a tripod and, you know, the kind where you put that hood over yourself, like in the, the old pictures in the Wild West. We have it so easy in comparison these days. <laughs> when you think it, well, not only because of that, but because we don't have to load film and we don't have to worry about film getting exposed accidentally and all that. I subscribe to Aperture Magazine, and with a subscription, you can go back through their archives. And it was interesting because the first color cover in Aperture was 1970, but it was a colorized photo from the 19th century. The first color content in the magazine wasn't until 1975, and it featured photos by Helen Levitt. In 76, there was a, a large story with a lot of photos by Stephen Shore, and then 77, Joel Morowitz. Interestingly, Aperture didn't pick up on William Eggleston back then at all. So after all this, we got to a point where art photography could be black and white, it could be color, and in some ways, it's anachronistic to be shooting in black and white, to be making black and white prints these days, isn't it? It is. And it's interesting also that there are genres of photography that are still black and white, like street photography still has a high percentage of, of black and white photos just because it, it fits thematically. Well, it fits thematically because people are reproducing models from the middle of the 20th century, Cartier-Bresson and people like that. If you look at Joel Morrowitz's street photography in color, it's street photography, the same types of quirky subjects that you might find in other photos. And he's not concerned that it has to be in black and white. So there's almost a sort of a an adhesion to an old nostalgic way of taking pictures in the way that street photography is black and white. I wonder how much of Meyerowitz's art or, uh, or you know, any of the street photographers who started shooting in color, if you were to take some of their color photos and make them black and white, would that make them stronger? Would that make them uh, easily interchangeable? I mean, what, what I find interesting in what you've said about how a lot of the photographers started to, to bring color into their work, which clearly was a, a radical idea at the time, is what was color bringing to their photography other than just we have a, a technical advance in that we can reproduce colors? What did color bring and, and how did that bend their brains to, to, to start thinking differently when basically everything was monochromatic before that? Well, it's interesting because they were thinking in black and white, but only as a proxy of what they were shooting. They were using rangefinders. And even in SLRs, you didn't have something that changed what you saw to black and white. So you were seeing in color. You were capturing, and I like to say that photography is light and shadow and shape and lines and contrast, and you're capturing that. And the only difference is that you happen to be capturing it on black and white film instead of color film. So again, the cost and the quality of color film meant that I think a lot of photographers ignored it. The difference with William Eggleston is that he discovered what's called the dye transfer process for making prints, and that's why his prints are so highly saturated. And his colors are much more colorful than what you would have gotten back in the days of Kodachrome. I think this is partly what, what intrigues me about, about this whole era and this whole shift, in that because I've grown up with color, I see photos in color, and it, it takes a very conscious effort for me to look at a scene and think about, okay, what would this look like in black and white? Or what aspects of this would make this a better black and white photo? Like, is this a more, um, like, like a dramatically contrasty uh, lighting scene or the opposite? 
if if something is very like very foggy or misty, sometimes that can work much better in black and white. So it's that how do I think to shoot better in black and white? Right. And I think that's what's interesting. We have the option. You can take any color photo and convert it to black and white. So maybe the first thing to do is just go back through a lot of your photos, not necessarily the ones you think are very good, but take some of the ones that you don't think are very good and convert them to black and white and see what you think. You may find that once you've removed the color, the contrast and lines and shadows, they might say something different from what you saw in the original photo. For a long time, I thought, okay, when you convert to black and white, you just click the button and now it's black and white and yay, there you go. And you can, you know, affect tone and you can affect uh, contrast and, and sort of all those those uh, very basic uh, editing adjustments. And then some number of years ago, I came to the very late, late uh, knowledge of, oh, you can manipulate a lot of color channels in black and white for a wide range of, of results. Right. And so I want to discuss the different ways you can convert photos to black and white. Some of the listeners will probably know most, if not all, of these techniques, but you might learn something that you don't know. There's a lot of photos in the show notes. What I've done is I've selected some of my photos that I've put into black and white, and I show screenshots in Apple Photos showing what has been changed, and I show the original photos. So you can see the before and after. Now, the first thing you might want to do if you think a photo might work in black and white is go into the filters setting. Now, in Apple Photos, it's the center tab at the top. Other apps have various types of filters and presets, but you can always go into a mode where you can see a quick black and white example of what the photo is. Apple Photos and the iPhone and iPad, they have three black and white filters. One is called mono, one is called silvertone, and one is called noir. The silvertone has that sort of daguerreotype look, and I think it's easily overused. The mono is just purely desaturated, and the noir filter, which you'll see in an example in the show notes, is the one that takes into account the shadows and highlights and creates more contrast. So the example that I've put is a, a photo that I took this summer of a tulip bud, red against green, you know, the two opposite colors on the color wheel. And I think it works very well in red and green, but when I was playing around with it in black and white, it came out very interesting because you get the darker, veiny nature of the tulip against the, the soft gray background. I do like the way this turned out, especially because the original is also very stark and, and jumps out at you, but that's because of the purple versus the, the texture. For me, this filter would just be a starting point. It would let me see an approximation of what black and white might look like. It's very rare that I will convert a photo to black and white using just that filter. But if I quickly look at the filter and say, okay, this could be a black and white photo, then I can move on to some of the other techniques. So, Kirk, looking at this picture here, we had talked earlier about how we would use the auto button to get a sense of, of, of what the, the software thinks the picture should look like. And I love how this turned out, but if you wanted to go and adjust not just the tone um, or, or the contrast, but some of the the different details there, in photos, you'd have to go and basically reproduce this using the adjustment sliders. Is that right? No, you can apply the filter and then go into adjust mode, and then you could alter, say, brightness and contrast and exposure and all those settings. Or you could take this as just proof that this photo will work in black and white, discard it from your mind, go into the adjustment section, and start playing around with the different adjustments, which we'll get to in a minute. Gotcha. Okay. 
So for the second photo, here's an example of one which technically this is what I would call a standard black and white conversion. These are four Neolithic huts that are on the site of Stonehenge. They're rebuilt to look like the huts that the people who made Stonehenge lived in. And I took this color photo and the color photo has sort of a bland sky and, and the browns of the thatched roof didn't seem very interesting. And that to me jumped out right away. This has to be black and white. So if you look at the, the screenshot from photos, you'll see that there are two things. There are a number of adjustments in the top section, which Apple lists as light. Now you can drag the top slider where you see the little sort of thumbnails and that will alter the, the other sliders in sort of together according to an algorithm, or you can alter the individual sliders. This one I probably did a lot manually. I heightened the black point, for instance, which I like to do in black and white photos. It gives it a stark filmic look. But what I also did is, if you look at the black and white section, there's a slider with five little thumbnails. And as you drag that slider around, what it does is it darkens and lightens certain colors. Now, I've never figured out exactly which color corresponds to which little thumbnail. So you just go back and forth and slide it around until you find the ideal tonality. And then often what I'll do is I'll go back up to the top section. Here I drop the shadows a lot. I dropped the contrast a little bit. I didn't raise the contrast, but I dropped it because that seemed to work better with the high black point. So the combination of those two sections means that I had a vision of what I thought the photo might look like. And after some tweaking and playing around and back and forth and undoing and redoing, I ended up with the photo that you see as the final example. So for listeners who aren't yet seeing this uh, and rush to the website to, to see these pictures because I, I think they're great, the original is, is almost monochromatic in itself. And so that's a really good way to basically say, oh, this would make a good black and white conversion, especially something like this that has a lot of texture. There's a lot of, of, of great uh, lines and, and shadow in, in the thatched huts. And it's also the pointed roofs of the, it's the two descending angles on the right and the left and the pointed roofs in between them that to me, it's that sort of shape contrast that, that cries out for black and white. And clouds. I have to say, having yes. having more contrast, a little darkness in, in the clouds, which in the original really just sort of fade into the background, they come better here. One thing that I want to point out, just to represent my team a little bit, in Lightroom, the way you would do this is you would make the black and white conversion, and then you would open the color panel. And although the color panel, there's a color mixer, that still lists everything as red, yellow, blue, etc. You would then make those specific adjustments to get those those different tonalities that the the tool in photos with its great little thumbnail slider affords. I mean, I I love the way photos has done this because it means you don't have to know anything about sliders to get a lot of very different, interesting looks. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll look at some other techniques you can use to convert your photos to black and white. The Photoactive Podcast is brought to you by Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Take Control publishes books about Apple hardware and software, including books by Jeff and me. Take Control Books help you understand your Mac or iOS device, focusing on topics such as keeping your devices working well, privacy, security, and how to use popular Apple and third-party apps. Take Control Books are published like software. We offer free bug fixes and minor updates and discounted upgrades to new editions. 
Some Take Control books that might interest you include Jeff's Take Control of Your Digital Photos and Take Control of Lightroom CC, Jason Snell's Photos, a Take Control Crash Course, and I've written Take Control books about iTunes, Scrivener, Launch Bar, and Audio Hijack. We have a special offer for photoactive listeners. You can get 30% off any book using the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to TakeControlBooks.com slash PHOTOACTIVE, that's PHOTOACTIVE in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically. Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. So for the next photo, I did things a little bit differently. We talked about that one button that you click to see what photos thinks the photo should look like. There is a little auto button above the black and white slider that you can click to see what photos think a black and white photo should look like. So for this one, I just clicked the black and white slider and I said, hey, that's really good. It's taking the contrast between the blue and the green. This is a standing stone in Avebury, which is near Stonehenge. It, it's darkening the blue sky. It's lightening the green a little bit. The stone stands out very well. And I just used the auto setting and I tweaked it a tiny little bit from there. Another thing that you'll note is when you look at the color slider with the little thumbnail, I increased the saturation. And this had an effect of increasing the darkness of the blue and the green. Again, in the screenshot, look at the color slider, how it goes from low saturation at the left to high saturation at the right, which is light at the left and darker at the right. So you can play with the color slider even when you're in black and white, because Photos is still interpreting this from your original color photo. This is a, a thing that I think people don't think about because we're like, okay, we've switched to black and white, so we don't need to think about color saturation because there's no color here. But in fact, there's a lot of color here. It's just being interpreted as black and white. Exactly. And this is a photo I took with my iPhone. This was not on the same visit to Stonehenge area. This was just an iPhone photo, so 12 megapixels. The colors are a little bit oversaturated, but I think it works really well in black and white. I would agree. The next photo is going back to your Lightroom example. This is a screenshot from Luminar. And Luminar has the same sort of layout as Lightroom with the six different color ranges that you can alter. And I, I took this photo as an example of going to extremes. And if you look at the screenshot, you'll see that I put the blue all the way up and I put the yellow up really high because this is the blue sky is really strong and I wanted to show how dark it is. I, I don't think this photo works particularly well in black and white compared to color, but this is just to give an example of what you can do with all these different sliders. Basically, look at the colors in your photo. Take the blue, for example, in the blue sky. Do you think the blue should be darker? If so, slide it to the right. Do you think it should be lighter? Slide it to the left and go through the six colors. Then shadows and highlights and contrast and brightness, and we won't go into those today. We'll talk about all the sliders you got in every photo app in another episode. But this example was merely to show the extreme of pumping the blue up to the max. Going to extremes like that tends to work better in black and white because it's a lot more forgiving. You can really crank some of your colors. You can crank your, your saturation. You can crank your, your contrast. And it works better in black and white than if you were to do the same thing in the color photo, it could just destroy a sky or make the ground look like some unnatural color. Because black and white is artificial. And that's one thing you need to understand with black and white photography. You are altering what you see. And it's not like film where you don't have any control over these things. We have a great deal of control that you didn't have back in the film days. You did have some things you could do in film, dodging and burning. And we'll do an episode about that, I think, at one point, because that's an interesting technique. But you didn't have the contrast that you could get with colors. 
another technique that I like to use, and I think not many people use, is the next flower. It's just a simple yellow rose sitting on a wooden chair. And what I did there is I just dragged the color slider all the way to the left and fully desaturated it. This might be similar to what would come up in that mono filter in the first section that we looked at with the various filters. There are some photos where this seems to work better for me because if you look at the little thumbnails in the color slider, you'll see this is a bright yellow rose with green leaves and a, and a pretty drab wooden chair that it's sitting on. So there's not a lot you can do with color. However, by desaturating it and pumping up the contrast and the black point, I was able to come up with something that I felt was quite interesting. How often do you find yourself just pulling the saturation way back rather than making a black and white conversion? Sometimes if I play with the black and white sliders and it doesn't satisfy me, then I'll try desaturating to see what I can do. One of the reasons I started trying this is because of the idea of not even including color into black and white photos, but I don't want to foreshadow too much what I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes. What's great to hear in your answer there is I think something that will resonate with a lot of people, which is clearly you are looking at these pictures and you are experimenting. You're trying a bunch of different things. And one thing that I hope people come away with is the fact that you can experiment and try a whole bunch of different things. And none of the edits that we're doing here are destructive. You're not permanently altering the pixels. So part of the the fun of playing with black and white is seeing what you can do with it. And if you don't like the the preset that comes through, you can try it by desaturating or partially desaturating or messing with the sliders and find the photo that you had in your mind when you took it without any adverse consequences. Or discover a photo that you didn't know that you had made. Exactly. And I think many times in what you said earlier about a photo that didn't look good in color and turns out to be good in black and white, that means that you're perceiving a certain number of shapes and lines and contrasts, but the color just doesn't work. And it's the underlying form that you're bringing out in black and white. And a small technical matter that I want to bring up is that in all of these programs, you can make a copy of your color photo and work on it and have a separate black and white version and just play with those. You're not, you're not making any permanent edits that you can't walk back from. Yeah, I often do that. I'll take the color, make a copy, try the black and white. If it doesn't work, I'll delete it. The last example is shooting in black and white as opposed to shooting in color and converting. I couldn't not have at least one cat photo here in this episode. So this is Rosalind the cat, and I had my Fuji X100F set to black and white mode. I think pretty much every camera lets you shoot in black and white. I've even got a screenshot of Rosalind sitting on a chair taken from my iPhone where you tap the little three rings, which is the filters button, and you slide over and you choose, I chose the noir filter and it shows in the screenshot and you can shoot in black and white. And what this means is that you're looking through your camera in black and white. You're looking in the viewfinder, you're looking in the LCD. And in particular with the Fuji cameras that we both use, Fuji has what they call these film simulations. They're kind of like presets in the camera. They're meant to match Fuji's films because Fuji has been a film manufacturer for a long time. This one is the Acro simulation using a red filter. And the red filter brings out a lot of contrast. And I'll often go out with my camera in black and white and just shoot in black and white, but then maybe see something in color, switch back to color and switch back. 
So if you look at this screenshot, you'll see that the color slider and the black and white sliders have not been changed. I've changed the, the highlights, the brilliance, the contrast, etc. But that was originally conceived as a black and white photo. Do you pick a specific black and white preset that you like to stick with? Or do you experiment with with the different ones that, that Fuji offers? Well, there's the Acros, the standard monochrome, and then there are three filter options, red, yellow, and green. The red filter is great for the sky because it makes more contrast between the blue sky and the clouds. I don't find the yellow very useful, but it depends on what you're shooting. So it's worth trying the different film simulations or whichever, whatever your camera calls them. I think on Olympus cameras, they call them presets. I don't know about others. I'm pretty sure every camera lets you do this. Do you find yourself switching between those as you work based on, on what you're seeing? Yeah, sometimes I'll take a picture. I don't, oh, I don't often chimp. Chimping is when you take a picture, immediately look at the results on the back of the camera. I don't often do that, but when I am doing something like this and I'm trying to, trying to get just the right balance, I will chimp to check and then I'll switch to another filter mode and try that. Nice. And again, for technical reasons, are you shooting just JPEG at this point, right? No, I shoot RAW and JPEG just in case. Okay. So I can always go back to the RAW file and convert that to black and white if I'm not really satisfied with the JPEG. So it's really a belts and suspenders approach. That's important to, to point out because I remember when I first started uh, experimenting with that and I was only shooting in RAW and I would get these black and white previews on the camera, like, oh, that's exactly what I was hoping for. And I'd import them and the black and white was gone because the software is like, oh, well, you have a RAW file and we're going to, we're going to, we, we have all this power to do color processing in the RAW file and, and my black and white was removed. So, um, you know. Newbie error. <laughs> yes, you should always shoot RAW and JPEG when you do that, because the black and white won't be saved if you shoot only RAW. That's very important. So in a previous episode, and in talking with you outside of, of recording, you've mentioned the, the Leica M. Is that right? The Leica M monochrome camera and, and how you, you lust after it. And the Leica M only shoots in black and white. So Yes, that's correct. I want to respect your lust for hardware gear, but I also want to understand it. Why, what about this particular camera appeals to you versus being able to use all of the, the modes in your Fujis? Well, one of the things that I really like is having constraints. One of my two cameras is a Fuji X100F. It has a fixed lens, a 35 millimeter equivalent lens. You can buy a teleconverter and a wide angle converter, but they're, they're kludges. I like the idea of constraints. I've always loved black and white shooting. I'm going to put some links in the show notes. One is to a review of the first Leica M monochrome in 2012, and one is to the second one in 2015, and then a couple of other links for people who are writing about this. I, I don't want to go into too much technical detail. You can look in these reviews to see how the camera sensor works, but a camera sensor is made up of a sensor over which there are filters for red, green, and blue. And the sensor records the light information and the color information. There's a process called demosaicing that turns that into pixels. But since there are all these colors, pixels are affected by the pixels next to them. In other words, it's sort of an interpolation and there's noise that comes out. The Leica M monochrome only records luminance on each pixel. It doesn't have to calculate anything to know that this pixel next to this pixel, this one's red and this one's green, so I need to have something in between. It's pure luminance. It's just light. 
It has a greater scale of luminance. I think the second model is 14 bits instead of 8 bits, which is like a huge boatload compared to a boatload of levels of gray. It also has a base ISO of, of 320, which my cameras both are at 200. That's not a big difference. But if you look at some of these reviews, you'll see shots at 10,000 ISO that are amazingly clear and clean. And, and there is a, a filmic look to some of these pictures that's stunning. Okay, that helps because I think for a lot of people who just want some black and white photos, what we have is perfectly adequate. So thank you because I didn't quite understand the appeal other than the Leica name and you know uh, history and all of that. The Leica name is part of it, but this is the only real monochrome camera and it gives you a different way of shooting. Now, when, when you go to process your monochrome files, I've downloaded some sample DNG files from the internet and they're relatively flat. So you have to do a lot more work, but it's like when I was talking before about desaturating a photo and then playing with the contrast and the, the, the black point and the shadows and the highlights, that's what you do with these files. You have no slider that darkens the blue or darkens the green. On the other hand, when you're shooting with this camera, you owe it to yourself to have three filters in your pocket, red, green, and yellow. This is the way we did it back in the film day. Actual filters, actual glass filters, you mean, yeah. Yes, glass filters. If you wanted to bring out the sky, you'd put on a red filter or maybe a polarizing filter. So the options you have are different, but look at some of these reviews and look at the quality of these photos, and they're stunning. Now, it costs about as much as a small car, <laughs> it, it's really expensive, but I do lust after it. Okay, if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, you know that we've set up a Facebook group. There'll be a link in the show notes, and we would like to launch our first photo challenge. The idea of a photo challenge is we're going to give you an idea of something to shoot, and you post it in the Facebook group, and we'll comment on it. Obviously, the photo challenge is a black and white photo, and particularly if you're not used to making black and white photos. Look at black and white photos Find some of the great photographers on the internet. Elliot Erwitt is a great example of a black and white photographer. Get some ideas and go out and shoot some photos and drop it into the Facebook group. If you haven't joined the Facebook group, the link is in the show notes. The secret word to get in is swordfish. Also, you don't need to go into excruciating detail, but it would be great to know if you shot that with the intention of shooting in black and white and maybe a little bit about your processing. Yes, that would be interesting. Which of the techniques that we've talked about did you use to convert? So this is our snapshot section of the podcast where we each pick something that we want to talk about that's related to photography. Jeff, what have you got this week? Well, in keeping with the black and white spirit, I thought that I would go back in time and retro but modern by pointing out a little app called BitCam. It's, it's done by the Icon Factory, and most likely you will download it, you will use it, you will say, ha ha, that's great, and then perhaps never use it again. But what it does is it basically makes a one-bit photo of whatever you take a picture of. So one bit, that means pure black and white pixels, low resolution that would come from, say, a Mac SE. And on the technical side, it's a lot of fun. But try using it to take you know, real photos and see what effect that extreme constraint can have on the photos that you take. So try to take some, you know, quote unquote, good photos, not just fun photos, and see what you come up with. 
my snapshot is obviously related to black and white photos. It is Black and White Photography Magazine, which is my favorite photography magazine in the world. It's published here in the UK. There's only a couple pages of gear. There's some stuff about techniques. There's a regular column about doing things with a smartphone and different smartphone apps. And we didn't talk about any of that, things like Snapseed and, and other apps like that that you can use for filters. But that's an interesting way to make black and white photos too. But what it is, is it's really the state of black and white photography. There are portfolios and photo essays from different people, discussions of black and white photography. Interestingly, some of the ads are in color, but <laughs> almost all of the photos are in black and white. I've been subscribing to this for a while. There'll be a link in the show notes. It's really reassuring to have a photo magazine that doesn't talk a lot about gear. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 30% off any purchase at Take Control Books with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to takecontrolbooks.com slash photoactive. That's photoactive in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically. Until next week, thanks again for listening.